0: As much as I like to fight everyone, I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you mad? Hey Louisa, what's up?
1: Hi Jake, how's it going?
0: Uh, good. Not good at all, I don't know, uh... (laughs) It's like you're just saying that as a reaction. I don't know. Fine, yeah. I guess. It's um, an
1: automatic response.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, we well, should you just get right into it, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Because yeah, we already had our personal time conversation beforehand. So let's just get right into this shit. Um, which was, I am very happy to hear that you watched a Face in the Crowd, which was a uh, movie that I watched with my lover. <laughs>
2: Oh, actually, Love pause
1: before, before we go into the movie. Hold on, you this want me to pause? Oh,
2: oh. No, 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 not, not pause that. for
1: real. Pause in the conversation. Um, before <laughs> we get into the movie, this is something I brought up on Twitter, but I want your opinion. I've been uh, workshopping, right? Different terms for my lover, yeah. right? Because people really hate it. Like they bristle yeah. when you say "lover" yeah, in like yeah. a regular conversation.
2: <laughs>
0: it's like super funny. Old SNL sketch. Love. No, but you
1: think it's just that? You think it's just that? Several people did respond to my tweet with that picture, but no.
0: But I think that that what they're feeling and what mm-hmm. the sketch writer of that sketch are feeling are both a common the same cause. thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. No, this is a real.
0: It bothers people.
1: Exactly. And so here's the thing. Right. And I know that I've been making fun of trads a lot lately, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, But here's the thing that I don't understand, Jake. Um, I'm I'm trying to figure out like a good word for describing a person who is my romantic partner, I guess. Right. Is the most um, unbiased way to put it. Yeah. Except that as a solo person, the word partner directly contradicts what I'm trying to do. I don't consider anybody in my life to be my business partner or my friendship partner or my sex partner. That is weird, yeah. Yeah, like we are not engaged in this as partners.
0: So to me... What do you call people when you're in a co-op with them and not a business situation? My fellow worker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, My fellow co-owner. I don't know. Like, what are you... (laughs) Part of my Uh, cohort. Yeah. So the thing is that lover... Here's the thing. To me, it's extremely accurate to my situation because I am purposely trying to only enter into relationships or romantic relationships, I should say. Because obviously, there's other kinds of relationships, but I'm only trying to enter into romantic relationships that are like a genuine, intimate connection in which our only codependency is that we enjoy loving each other and spending time with each other there's no financial codependency no like domestic codependency no fucking psychological codependency it's just strictly what we bring to each other's lives is love both physical and emotional love so you are my lover (laughs) you understand yeah to me that is extremely accurate and why i think it bothers people is because it like these words what they do when you like introduce somebody as x what they do is they communicate the type of relationship that you and that person have to the third person, right? And somehow, fucking Puritans in this country are okay with like introducing somebody as husband or wife, which is a term I'm denoting property, all right? They, I don't care what you say; that's where it comes from. Partner, which is this like co-op, codependent, co-working, <laughs> you know, part partner relationship thing. It's also just very so sterile. It, exactly, very sterile versions of like. Saying that the relationship between these two people are is like a consensual business agreement of finance and breeding and you know whatever the fuck it is, and you're okay saying that to strangers. But somehow it's fucking weird if I'm like, hey, this is the person who makes me come and makes me happy and listens to my
0: problems.
1: <laughs> you know, like, you what should, the fuck?
0: You should just say that.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is one of the people that makes me come and listens to my problems and really <laughs> likes me. <laughs> Uh, That would probably make them fucking more weird. So anyway, I understand everybody's having this fucking visceral reaction to fucking me being happy, you fucking assholes. (laughs) So what would you suggest would be a good term? Like a gentleman... (sighs) Holler! Somebody said, and then I was like, "Why are we acting like he's coming over to read the Bible, though? Because that's that's not what's happening here."
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm a big fan of new terms because I'm a, unfortunately I do understand the cringe that's happening. I was mm-hmm. uh biking past that bar that I think you used to hang out at, right, friends and, and, friends lovers, and lovers, the other day. Yeah. I was laughing about it because, like. I was like, of course that's where Luis uh, hangs out. Like that's like <laughs> the bar. It's like the, you named the bar. Like I know <laughs> it's really funny, but it's just, it's just like it, I, the words, the word kind of bothers me too, but it's not because it's inaccurate. Cause you're right. It's accurate. It's because it has all this yeah. baggage from, um, from just baggage that I have. That I can't get rid of, so yeah. I think that this is where we get creative and we go new term, right? There needs to be a new term for right. so many things. So, you know, I mean, some, I'm
1: open to new term. That's what I'm pulling. I'm pulling you and our audience. I tweeted about it. Nobody's really given me, you know. Okay, first of all, about, don't write don't write with a stupid like fuck boy well, I was gonna say, and whatever.
0: Fuck boy yeah. is an insulting term, but it's because exactly, but it's because it's calling them a boy. So how about fuck man? well no
1: because it, oh, i also gentleman. think that fuck boy and fuck man imply that it is a purely just like sexual relationship yeah, and it, was, it denies the intimacy
0: of I, it I, I right was, that was entirely joking <laughs> I don't think you no call. i know i know
1: but i literally had a bunch of dudes in my in my fucking replies being like oh what about fuck boy what about whatever like uh somebody was just like uh like dick i don't know like every re- referring to dick and fucking and whatever and it's like You are missing that the fact the reason that lover makes people cringe is because it implies intimacy, not just sex. You know, it implies fucking feelings and depths (laughs) of emotion and whatever the fuck. And that's what makes you all cringe. And so, like, give me a word then that implies the level of intimacy that I'm seeking that does not imply things like uh, sharing of a (laughs) domestic place and fucking having children and getting married or believing in God or any of that shit.
0: Okay. I have a nineties leather jacket, Chris Rock logic stand up answer to this. (laughs) Okay. Why don't you call them by their name? Like, drop. Crowds Ugh. applauding. Yeah, look at that yeah. original thought. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, but could I say, like, could I be like, this is my Jake?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, <laughs> like no, no, that? No, no. <laughs> no.
2: you
1: can't, because I'm property, and I'm not trying to be like that either. No, you would just say, this yeah. is
0: Jake. But then it's like, you know, this, this doesn't work either, because people, you are trying to convey to people, like...
1: That there is something there, because if not, they ask, you know? Like, like yeah. for example, with Trey, for years, people would be like, oh, so, like, oh, there's something with you and Trey. Like, oh no, you fucking purity you know you can't believe that a man and a woman like to hang out because they both like to smoke weed you fucking dumbass (laughs) like why do you think it has to be a secret sexual relationship you fucking stupid stupid person yeah so it wouldn't i wouldn't want it to be the kind of thing where it's like people think like oh they're for sure having sex and then they have to like secretly ask me and then it seems like i'm ashamed of my relationship with this person and that's not it so yeah i do need i think you know as much as we want to be like anarchists who don't like labels and shit, I think the reality is that the way that our brains and our society function is that labels are very much necessary. They just need to be temporary and malleable, continually malleable, because our knowledge and our sense of self and information changes constantly. So the label needs to be changeable. And it also can't be applied upon you by somebody else. So I'm trying to find the right label i should probably discuss it with my lover
0: (laughs) well there you go i mean that's that's who you should discuss it with like yeah
1: but what what if he's like i would like partner and i'd be like ugh, i don't like partner yeah we'll have to have a negotiation about this
0: (laughs) i don't know i mean i think you got your hands on an unanswerable question because like i've been through it you know i had a really woke relationship where she was my partner and i she i didn't care like i was just like whatever mm. you want to say because you're the person that cares more about this issue so i said it yeah. but it still never felt right but also like girlfriend doesn't feel right it's like are you dating a teenager are you in high exactly. school what the fuck is wrong with you it sounds like you're in a soda shop you know
1: yeah dude it's super lame i think boyfriend and girlfriend is super lame at our age and it's also like um cutesy for no reason like what we're not friends like we're more than friends what is this stupid ass fucking man
0: friend is also stupid (laughs) you know like it's weird when you have like a a old relative and they're like their spouse dies and then like your 90 year old aunt is like i've got a new boyfriend and you're like (laughs) what the fuck you're a boy that's illegal what do you mean (laughs)
1: like (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so that's not gonna work for me Uh, obviously fiance, all that shit is gross and out. No offense. Everybody who's into that. Um, so yeah, you're right. It does need to be a new term. I just have not been able to hit on it, but. There's gotta um, be something
0: cool in like Alexandra Cullinty or something. She was really good with words. Her essay about like family abolition was called make way for winged arrows. You know? Something <laughs> yeah. some weird Soviet style. Like is my comrade, maybe? Huh? My sex yeah. comrade.
1: Ooh. <laughs> my <laughs> sex comrade. <laughs> my love comrade. What about that? No? People still hate that. People hate feelings. <laughs> people hate intimacy being like obviously out there, too.
2: Yeah. I think
1: like one of the key things of like Western culture is this like antiseptic sort of like never reveal vulnerability unless it's in like this like very performative artsy Dude, way. That's exactly
0: what I was going to say, because what's really funny is like, no one wants to say words like that, like in yeah. conversation, but then like all of the music that we create yeah. is like, be my lover. lover yeah. want to be <laughs> <Exactly>. my lover. <laughs> it's like, why is it? Exactly. Okay. when <laughs> It's like in this particular express product that it's like somehow abstracted away from, you or whatever
1: absolutely jake and actually you know what this is going to sound extremely like uh like conceited pompous i don't know dumb but you know i was thinking about like i don't know like how comics work on specials and writers are working on their great novel and like all this stuff and it's like you know like what am i doing (laughs) right and i honestly think that like my great work of art if we're gonna call it that is like how i'm trying to live my life
0: don't be a poet be a poem
1: exactly yeah and i've been trying to do it for so many years mostly coming out of this idea that like i went into like anthropology to answer questions for myself not to answer questions for society you know and so it seems crazy to me that there's like social scientists and psychiatrists and like whatever all out there who are being like completely obtuse in their personal and interpersonal lives even though they're like geniuses in their field of understanding like the human mind and human behavior and whatever And like How the fuck do you have this like compartmentalized view of yourself and the world that it never occurs to you to apply the things that you are learning in your field and in your specialty to how you actually live your life? And I'm the opposite. I don't want to teach anybody anthropology. (laughs) I don't want to write books about brown people. I don't give a fuck about doing shit as an anthropologist. Except I use the tools of anthropology to try to... (laughs) Live a well-realized life, which doesn't mean being perfect in any way, but um, it does mean trying to make sure that I live until the last day of my life, trying to make conscious decisions and choices that I guess are rooted in my own sense of right and wrong and who I want to be as a person, as opposed to things like who other people expect me to be or what capitalism forces me to be or, you know, any of those external factors right yeah so i do think it is important for me to figure out a label for the type of relationships that i want to have because like you know so we've had more people like tweet at us and shit and write to us about relationship stuff since we've started talking about that and i've tried to be clear with them that like i am not trying to um be the spokesperson for any kind of like relationship or lifestyle choices or anything like that but I'm also really happy to be talking about these things that I've been thinking about. Feels like alone for a long, long time until I have certain friendships, certain relationships, until my friendship with you and having these conversations. And now um, it's bringing better people into my life. And by better, I don't mean to say that the people before were bad, but people that are a better match for me. Yeah. People that, hear who I am and they are into it and they don't think my ideas are crazy and they actually feel like oh shit this person would get me and make me feel like I'm not crazy and they've reached out I told you earlier I've also had some mishaps where maybe like people I think wanted to connect with me and I misread the type of connection that they wanted and then it got weird <laughs> you know and, like failed interactions have happened I guess is my point but it feels like I'm out here risking more, but gaining more. And I, th- regardless of what kind of relationship type you want, listener, or what kind of person you are, being yourself and talking as often as possible with your friends, even not, not like, I really don't think that you should be having your first or third conversation about what relationship type you want with a potential partner. You should be having these conversations first with your friends, right? With people who have no stake in the game, who are not taking it personally the way that you are framing how relationships should be, just so that you hear your words out loud and hear your ideas out loud and start to like formulate what you actually want and what you actually want to put out in the world and offer to people. And more people will start to like hear you and believe that that's who you really are and either stay away, if that's not what they're into, or seek you out and then you can have like better, more meaningful connections. Um, So I'm really happy that I'm doing that. And that even though I've had a couple of stumbles, it's been really nice for the last couple of months, um, connecting with people who make me feel like, holy shit, I wasn't crazy when I was like 20 or 25 thinking these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, Back to the movie, which was all to say that <laughs> this, uh, my lover, because we don't have a new word yet, so everybody's just going to have to fucking deal, <laughs> um, came over, we watched a movie, and uh, because he's a great person who knows me and listens to me and all that kind of shit, he uh, was like, this is like a totally Why You Mad movie. And Jake, isn't it? Yeah, no, totally. It? Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah. So I told you to watch it, and it's crazy to me, because what year is it from? Like 1957, I think?
0: Yeah, I think it's 57.
1: Yeah, and it is um, Andy Griffith's first movie. Did you know that it was his debut film?
0: I didn't know that, but it's cool. He yeah, acted the fuck so, out of it.
1: So yeah, so it's really amazing because I mean, I want you to explain how like the movie and your point of view and what you got out of it because I've already like talked to the other people about it. So I'm ready to hear your. We
0: also did bring this up on the show at one point, but I think at we got, point. like it, we got away from it. So
1: yeah, I think I just maybe gave like a brief overview, yeah. but. What is super crazy to me is that this is a story from 1957 that quite literally we can name comedians that this is happening with and to right now in 2021.
0: There are so many good like evergreen stories that uh, I would describe when suggesting to a friend as this is from the past, but this is about a podcaster. (laughs) Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's essentially the same thing like i was telling one of my friends about the confederacy of dunces a while back have you ever read that
1: no you've told me to and i still have not mm, sorry it,
0: it fucking rules it's just about this like yeah. s- the pseudo intellectual guy who talks to himself all day and he like corresponds <laughs> with one person and he thinks he's a genius and he's an idiot and it's like it's, it's a it's a poster it's a podcaster it's a modern story it's a it's not that it's a modern story it's an it's an eternal story you know and um yeah, so th- this face of the crowd is what's going on with it with the guy being kind of like a radio star, an early media star. Um, totally echoes, you know.
1: Well, but not even just that. I think. Um, sorry, just a-
0: No, it's okay. It also a- okay, another thing I'll say about it is it. Um, I think it's interesting is it's, it's created by Elia Kazan, which he's a really interesting figure because he turned people in during uh, the HUAC trials, but mm-hmm. he, I think. So the story is that he, after that he made it On the Waterfront and he was like, the funny thing about On the Waterfront is it's a story where like the, um, I guess the protagonist is like, he turns someone in. So he's like trying to make a story that explains like, uh, you know, his guilty conscience about, informing on people and stuff and i've never actually watched it. i've been meaning to watch it but that's a, that's what i am to understand about it which is really funny because it almost sounds like his guilty con- he has a, the reason he has a guilty conscience is because he is a smart person and he knows he shouldn't have turned those people in because if he made this movie i mean this movie like is uh it's not a right-wing movie it's not like a mccarthyist type thing it mm-hmm. is very much um an examination of the evils of right-wing populism you know
1: yeah, absolutely. But man, it's, um, that is weird that it came from that guy then, because it also, I don't know, do you, do you think like the thing that happens at the end is like a cancel culture kind of thing? Or is it like an exposure of truth?
0: Whoa. And where,
1: where's the line drawn there? Hmm
0: oh okay you know what i mean so i guess we should te- maybe
1: Cause tech- yeah exactly okay let's well, not jump to the end you're right you're right but the, i because... know what you mean
0: because that part of the movie where he gets exposed yeah by a person it's... i was like this is kind of like what people do with like old tweets and stuff like that
1: yeah and it's like literally a network executive lady being, and although she's his ex and there's like all these reasons but it's like somebody that works at the network basically and has access to do this to you exposed you yeah so um Whatever, let's jump to the beginning because one of the things that one of the things that was most striking to me actually, which is a fucking Trump thing, a Tim Dylan thing, like bear with me, I'm gonna show you the connection here, which is Yeah. The at the beginning of the movie, uh, the character is called Lonesome Roads. Lonesome Roads, yeah. Yeah, yeah Lonesome <clears throat> Roads. And basically what happens is there's this like lady, uh radio lady, you know, who goes out and does like segments for a radio show, and she was doing a segment in an Arkansas jail. Um, you know, I don't know, interviewing prisoners or whatever the fuck. So she sees this one dude and he's like handsome Andy Griffith and he has a guitar and she's like, what's up with you, you know? And she like puts the microphone in his face and he starts talking and he's like, you know, a hun- handsome, like country wisdom guy who speaks with a drawl, who plays guitar while he's like throwing out nuggets of wisdom that are charming and funny, <laughs> you know? So immediately he becomes a big hit. And what's crazy about the movie, because you're right that it's like anti-right wing populism and all this stuff, but the the spark of the story is this authenticity thing, yeah. right? Where it is this idea that they found this like magical person who is meant to be a performer and a star because they're so fucking authentic, right? And then that authenticity itself becomes like the marketable quality that then stops being authentic, but is actually being manufactured in order to be sold. Yeah. Right. And like literally to the highest bidder. Right. So for example, in this movie, um, Rhodes became like a politician influencer, right. Because he could like whitewash, uh, politicians, um, identities and like reputations by making them seem cooler, (laughs) you know, like stuff like that. He becomes a PR whatever. Yeah. He was like a PR dude. So like, if he engaged with them then those politicians would do better so then in, by the end of the movie he's like planning to become involved in this like as ad, advisor adversar, advisor role let's say uh <laughs> towards like a politicians and an elite right yeah and so by the end although what you're seeing on the screen is the authentic quote unquote charming southern guy with the fucking like little quips and the little names for everyone behind the scenes he's a ruthless fake manufacturer of this thing that sells to the highest bidder and to me like you saw this last week um tim dylan was at bitcoin festival yeah in Florida. <laughs> with like fucking just just crazy and so it's like how do you go from being a comedian right and that and like i remember when tim started like this is why supposedly people loved him it's like He's so genuine and so authentic. Right. Everything is like right off the top of his head. And he's this gay guy that doesn't seem gay and he's from Long Island. And so he seems trashy, but he thinks he's better than everyone. Wow. What an authentic guy. But then at some point it became very clear what about himself. So he stopped doing that authentically and started doing that in a manufactured way and selling it to the highest bidder, which stopped being comedy fans and started being fucking uh vcs and like, like bitcoin dudes you know yeah. like i don't know and rogan types and whatever the fuck so the like the i guess the um trajectory of the artist in this movie is the thing that like really crushed my heart
0: yeah well it's it's really tragic i mean it's yeah. really it's really well told in the movie which is that in the begin the first act of the film you kind of i mean you like the character. And there's yeah. only a creeping inkling that over the course of certain events, you start to realize, like, wait, this split is happening. And it's through watching the people around him who are genuinely, like, like his love interest, the woman who runs the podcast that starts the whole fucking thing, radio show, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um <laughs> Like, she's, like, genuinely, like... You know, kind of in love with this character and We're enthralled totally by him, at, him. And then she yeah. starts to see the split and see that it's happening because of his own self interest and his greed, which is driven by the fucking American dream, you know? And then by mm-hmm. the end of it, they're like horrified that they've like created this monster. Create a
1: monster yeah. You
0: know, and it's really, I mean, it's a great fucking story. Everyone should be aware of, you know, the, the fact that this can happen and it, it will happen if you do what this country tells you you are supposed to do, you know? Yep. Um, yeah
1: because he literally goes from like um you know does a great job on the little radio show as a little prisoner and like at the beginning oh so this is the other thing remember jake that in the first fucking five minutes of the movie he explains to the radio woman because she asks like why he's in jail or whatever so he's like oh for like drunken disorderly or something like that and then he like clarifies that because she's like where do you live and he's like Oh, like here and there and everywhere, you know, <laughs> and then I just and then he's like, and then whenever I need a square, a, a two square meals and a hot shower, I get myself arrested. <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs> that I can... so like he's like literally a fucking bum that travels the country fucking getting drunk and like playing his music. You know what I mean? Like a yeah. literal dirt bag artist, you know what I mean? Totally and this bitch who's like a little richy uppity lady is like oh my god he's so hot i'm in love with him
2: <laughs> so then she like
1: <laughs> thinks he's great so because this is the other thing that is another lesson in this movie remember that her trajectory is that she makes him famous right she she takes him from the jail to a local radio show to then a state level tv show to then national tv and they move to new york right to like literally being a billionaire and the whole time she's working her ass off to make him succeed and make him famous, thinking that like they will eventually be married and that he also loves her. And then do you remember that like first the first thing that happens is like a lady shows up who's like, oh, I'm his wife. Did he not tell you that I have he had a wife <laughs> and I want money if you want me to go away? Yeah. So she fucking pays off the woman. The woman goes away, whatever. And then the next thing is that um Lonesome goes to some fucking, I don't know, other state for a competition, like a baton girl competition. And he marries some 17-year-old girl that he meets <laughs> there that day and comes back to New York with a 17-year-old girl. And it's only after this that the woman, her name, sorry. um Marsha? Uh, yeah,
0: her? I think it was Marsha.
1: I think so. Yeah. So Marsha it's only after he comes back married to the 17 year old that Marsha like puts her foot down and is like, I made you, I worked like I own half of you because everything you are is because of all of my work. So now we're going to share profits and, you know, we're going to like, this is a business. Yeah. But basically she's now quote an old maid, right? Like this is after 15 years of them working together or whatever. And this is 1957, right? So she wasted her whole life building him up. And, like, not even, like, getting financially compensated or loved or respected or anything. And meanwhile, there was the um, Jack Lemon. Is that that guy's name?
2: Oh, that's Ma- Ma-
1: Landau. Martin, Martin Landau. You okay. saw he was in. A- yeah, Landau was uh, the other guy, Mel, who was a writer on the TV show. Yeah. With the glasses. you remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that guy was also present all the way from the local radio show to the New York TV show. And he was in love with Marsha the whole time. Right. And Marcia didn't see the guy who like was honestly was of her class and did love her and respect her and did want to be with her and like marry her the way she wanted to be and have the kind of relationship she wanted to have. And she fucking never saw him because she was blinded by this like. Beautiful star, (laughs) you know, like this artist that has all these like magnetic qualities that I fucking love, even though he treats me like shit. You you saying part of this
0: film that jumped out to you personally was that she was culpable too, as like industry, as an enabler,
1: not only no, not even only as industry, but as uh, um, the relationship thing, honestly, dude. I mean, like the fact that, um, people will go into relationships with artists. Like to me, I honestly, I've tweeted about this and multiple people have taken it personally. (laughs) But honestly, it's like, if you see yourself in this, I don't know what to tell you. But (laughs) to me, it's crazy that you meet an artist, right? Like literally look in this movie, you meet an artist, a guy who's like, I own nothing, I want nothing. I get arrested whenever I have to take a shower. I have no home. I'm from everywhere. I just like to play my guitar and get drunk and talk to the ladies. Yeah. And you decide... This is the guy I would like to marry and have uh, children with yeah. and buy a home with. <laughs> that does not fucking make sense. Yeah. You are not partners to be. You don't want the same things out of the world. You're stepping into a position where you want to put a person into a pet- on a pedestal and then expect them to somehow like meet all of your expectations that they clearly cannot meet. <laughs> like They were never going to meet. Makes no sense to me. And I see this, Jake. For years, and we've talked about it, where I think, like, most comics end up in these very, like, trad relationships that are very strange to me, because... All your other choices are so not trad, right? Like, the risks you take in being an artist who lives off the road, who does all these other things, who's not available on weekends because you're on the road, who can't be there at night because I have shows, you know, like, yeah, all these things are not conducive to you being a land-owning father <laughs> that fucking mows the lawn on Saturday, you know, like, all of this shit, and yet... Most of the men in comics that I know end up with women who want
0: these traditional things. Okay, you know what's interesting about that is that I think yeah. that on the side of a Marsha, this character, she mm-hmm. is seeing that she's she's a class above Lonesome. So she does not right. understand that what she's dealing with is a rough and tumble dirtbag character on the because he is lower class. She's right. set in a mindset of like, you can turn a hoe into a housewife. Like, you can. Right, right. The, this she
1: thinks she believes in class mobility for her boy. <laughs> also,
0: that if you invite this guy into the bourgeois, you know, yeah. he's going to like adapt and he's going to, you know, civilize himself and then become the type of person that would become re- reciprocal to her. But yeah. I, He's not. He's just going to take advantage of it, you know, and continue to be the way he is.
1: Exactly. And that's why, to me, so it's not a thing about... Which isn't a bad
0: a- thing, either, necessarily. Although, what happens in the story, like, you know, what happens when you go right-wing populist and you become a psychopath? He lost his mind. Sure. Yeah. But he probably would have been... I don't
1: know. No. Well, he lost his mind, and it... So... I mean, even so even before he's right wing populist, dude, like what he already was, was a capitalist selling his soul, basically. Right. So even before he figured out, because remember that what happened? Oh, so actually, this is an important thing. It's like the key turning point was that he when he was doing like the I think it was like the statewide show, not then he wasn't national yet. He had a it's like a variety TV show for people who haven't seen the movie, you know, like picture like. You know, he's the host and he has some people on. He does some songs with a guitar whatever. And he had a mattress company that was their um, sponsor, right? So if anybody has seen old timey, like 1950s variety shows, commercials and sponsors were literally like it would cut to the host and the host would do like an ad read about the, the sponsor. And so he gets given this copy to read about the mattresses and instead of reading the fucking copy dude it's exactly like podcast <laughs> instead of reading the copy yeah. he decides that he's like gonna be funny and he's gonna push the boundaries and make fun of the company <laughs> you know like make fun of having to do ads oh my god the whole idea that i have to fucking be a capitalist. this is so dumb <laughs> you know
0: while you're being a so, capitalist yeah
1: yeah exactly so it's him being like oh you're pushing all the boundaries while you're fucking selling us mattresses right and so then what happens is that the company the mattress company doesn't like that he did this. And I I actually, I watched this like a month ago. So I believe that what happens is the mattress company, the first time calls the producers of the show and is like, you can't do this. You know, you're making my company look bad. I'm going to pull my ads if you don't get this guy to read the correct copy. So like by the second or third time, the guy doesn't read the correct copy. He makes one of them mattress company and the idea of doing commercials. So the mattress company pulls out of supporting the show. So... Lonesome says on the show, like, oh, we lost the sponsor. Oh, they don't like it when I'm myself and when I'm real. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. And what ends up happening is that the fans of the show get so mad that the mattress company, you know, like canceled or whatever the lonesome dude. That they start burning mattresses on the street, <laughs> which actually ends up doing a fifty-five percent increase in sales
0: to the mattress. Company. Right, So you have to buy. So it, they're like modern mattresses. Like the coffee maker the, yeah. shit that happened
1: a year ago. You remember yeah. the, the fucking British shit or whatever it's called, uh, Kruger, what, whatever. You know what I mean. So the the mattress company comes back to the lonesome road show and is like. We absolutely want to sponsor your show. Like, holy shit. We got so much fucking traction from whatever he says about our shit. This is great. We're going to pay you double, whatever. And that's when lonesome realizes the power of his influence, right? Like before that moment, Jake, he was being authentic. He was making fun of commercials and making fun of mattresses. He thought it was so stupid. Yeah. He had to sell something to be himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Up until that moment, he was being the fucking guy you found in a jail, you know, who doesn't get why everybody's giving him money and doing whatever. He's just being himself. And then as soon as they told him, we made way more money, this company made way more money. All these people did all these things because you said so. The switch flipped. And then it became very much about maintaining and increasing that level of influence and finding more ways to monetize it. Yeah, And then that bled into the way that he even saw people because then he stopped appreciating Marsha for what she did for him he stopped treating his writers well in on the show like he became a fucking tyrant piece of shit he immediately became a person who sees everyone as a transactional relationship where they owe him something cuz he's the one providing or being right the money maker. you know what i mean
0: you know what this reminded me of comedians in a really specific way which is that there's this thing that you can sort of the grift of being like a like a hot take comic is uh i wish i wish i could find a really like solid example of this because i've been fixated on a long time or whatever for a long time on but like there are old timey ideas or portrayals of the devil as like a really good salesman and i think i might be like mm-hmm. low-key what's going on yeah. here especially like in old black and white stuff and like the twilight zone and stuff like that which he's got the gift yeah. of gab right and i've always noticed this about Certain types of comedians, who especially the ones that I think this is a good metaphor for, is that they roll into a town and suddenly everyone loves them because they're like a lawyer. They're like, it's not that they're what they're saying is true, it's that they can make it
2: so well. They can make any
0: argument. So I noticed this a couple of things kind of put this into focus for me, right? One of them is a while back I was reading. Call, like itunes reviews of my own show or something and you know people fucking hate me or whatever so one guy <laughs> was saying um he said uh he just says the same thing over and over again he makes the same tired old points you know and i was like that's really funny because the truth <laughs> is the same thing over and over again if you're looking for a tim dylan you are looking for someone who come up with creative new like arguments Lies. to make yeah. all the time and it's like How would any of that boil down to a common thread? It doesn't. You like Lyle Lanley, the monorail guy. You like hearing a really fucking sweetly put together sentence and something that makes you, you know, entertained by manipulating just semantic arguments and stuff like that. And I also noticed this with a uh, a comedian friend of mine who I think this tracks perfectly to an ex-friend of mine, to be entirely honest with you, when... Mm -hmm he blew through a town i lived in at one point and became, you know, the the fucking lonesome roads of uh, the time and place and um yeah and i just remember him making an argument about one thing and making it very passionately and everyone was enthralled and a few years later the opposite argument and same result everyone's like mm-hmm oh wow he's so right what about a this hero thing. and i was <laughs> yeah. like and i would just notice it over and over and over again like at various points he'd be like really really like pure purist stand-up like i don't do sta- I, don't, I don't do anything that's not pure stand-up i'm a pure stand-up i don't do podcasts i don't do uh you know these fucking live shows where they draw stuff or whatever yeah. and I'd be like okay all right you're on a weird kick where you're like this is the way to do this and then like <laughs> a year later his, his podcast blows up. Yeah. He's like podcasts are the only true form of comedy and something. Funny
1: because like I I already knew who you were talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. The
0: devil himself, no. you know. And yeah, so exactly, yeah. And I just, yeah. I mean, that's basically what I was getting at was, was the malleable nature of that. You know, mm-hmm. that, that that's how that's how these people become unlike tracked from the people around them on like an empathetic level, Absolutely. and they just turn into. You know, this transactional thing that's like now you're now the thing that you are in love with is capitalism and everyone else takes a backseat to it, you know?
1: Yep, exactly. And you start to measure every interaction and every success and failure in terms of like dollars that were made and like, you know, it's like when (laughs) you'll hear somebody be like. Like, if you say to one of these people, like, oh, you're not funny. They'll be like, oh, well, this is how many Patreon subscribers.
0: Right. <laughs> well, the, the, like, the other thing that happened with that comedian is really early yeah. on. I remember he was making a really fucking loud point in a bar about um Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. And mm. he made some great joke out of it. But then a guy sitting next to me, this is, like way, this is before smartphones, so he was like... I studied the Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. I don't think that guy got it right. I'm going to go home and like look this up. So I talked to him the next day and he was like, yeah, look, I wrote all this shit down. This completely false premise. Like this yeah. is entirely, uh you know, he, he just took a thing, made a lie in the premise of it and then wrote like a huge bit on it that fucking worked. And I remember going like I, t- I would put that in my pocket and I thought like I just I thought about it for a long time and it kept it with me. But I didn't stand up and go, hey, everyone, this guy's the devil. Like, we need to stop him. The yeah. same way that the characters in this movie didn't do that at the beginning of this fucking story. Because right. for for a, when you have a friend who's just weird and they have a quirk like that, it's a, a character flaw. It's like of no consequence, you think, until they become like a fucking Tim Dillon or something like that. And you're like, it's it's almost like, you know, when Trump got elected and you were like, like, for me, I was, like, I had friends who were, like, libertarians and stuff, and I was just, like, ah, you know, he's just a fucking weirdo, he's an idiot, he believes in some dumb yeah. shit. And then after this stuff started happening, I was, like, oh, my God, we should have been taking this seriously, like, yeah. this is, like... No,
1: totally, that's, that's why I made the Trump comparison earlier, is because the common thread is the authenticity thing, right? Because you remember how much, like, people in America were, like... Trump just says what he means and then he's direct and he's saying what we're all thinking like dude that's literally what you say about like a fucking blind crossing comedian you dumb idiots so it it's just um to go back to the relationship thing with the with Marsha and Lonesome and Mel you know like i don't want to i don't want it to seem like my point was that comedians or artists are getting into these tradition relationship with trads who expect something that I think is contradictory to artists. I've made that point before. And you know what I get, I kind of get why artists do it because you do need a source of stability in your life. So sometimes the home life is a way to have a, a more traditional sense of stability. Right. Yeah. But the sad thing to me is the male character, because if you remember, so basically Not that Mel Mel is sad, but that Marsha and Mel are sad because Marsha spent her whole life or like, you know, the last half of her life working for this dude and this idea of like what Lonesome was and like how she believed in him as an artist and whatever, where he didn't see her as a woman. He didn't love her as a person. He saw her only as a transaction that moves his career forward. And the whole time she had this person there who did love her and want her for who she was. And she didn't see him. As like I don't know exciting enough good enough like there's like the scene where she goes back to a bar where they used to have like drinks after work like years later so this is like after fucking it's like right before she exposes lonesome right so she goes back to this bar and the writer Mel guy is there and by this time he's like moved on to write somewhere else so they haven't seen each other for years And it just becomes clear that he's like, you know, he's like, I loved you and that she realized like, oh, you loved me and I could have been happy and loved all these years. But instead, I was chasing this, this idea. So it's like another form of fandom, I guess, like a interpersonal lying to yourself thing that I think was really poignant in this movie, because every character was kind of doing a version of lying to themselves. Yeah. and. I think, like, there's a lesson in this movie for not just the artists who are being exposed to this capitalist, like, dude, it also connects to our compartmentalization conversations, right? Because, like, what Lonesome was doing was, he thought, I think compartmentalizing and being like, "I know what to sell now, I know what's marketable, right. and then he still believed things like the seventeen year old really loved him for who he was, and then when he realizes she's like vapid and doesn't care, and he was she was cheating on him, you remember that with the guy that was the producer of the show her right. seventeen his seventeen year old wife so he realizes that like, oh, even his relationships are fake, but he doesn't realize how The ways in which he chose to sold out, to sell out, sorry, as an artist, also then like infected the way he saw his relationships with people. There is no such thing as compartmentalization, I think is my point. I think we'd like to believe it, but if you lose your moral compass in business or in art, I think you probably have lost it also in interpersonal relationships. Which I think is was also a point of this movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to uh you have to be consistent. Yeah. It's impossible to compartmentalize. Right? Yeah. Um, I wanna talk about the ending of this movie a lot, because I really yeah. enjoyed it. Um so this all kind of culminates in basically after Marsha is, you know, horrified and realizes what she's created, she becomes so resentful of him and of watching him like do his song and dance on tv and then talk off mic about how stupid he thinks the people he's selling the products to are and stuff and like and how dumb they are and how he's going to take over the world with this White House cabinet position that he's interviewing for later that night. So she does... That the
1: politicians are also dumb, right? So he thinks he's smarter and better than everyone, not just his audience.
0: Yeah, he's and he th- he's yeah. about to mount the fucking, like, head of the country. He's about to insert himself into a very powerful position in the government where he's just, like, you know, basically like Joseph Goebbels or something like that. Yeah, like and, a, he's,
1: uh, and he's pushing, a, like, a presidential candidate. Yeah. Yeah
0: and so she does the thing from uh the fucking uh batman returns you know the uh expose the politician by leaking like audio of them going like these fucking idiots you know yeah um she turns on his mic on when he's like talking like that after a show or af- yeah, after like a t- tv like during show. the
1: credits of the tv show
0: yeah and then yeah. we see all around the world all these people going like what the fuck minute. like fuck this <laughs> yeah. guy you know <laughs> yeah. and immediately it destroys his reputation and the 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 politician that he's running for president that he's going to meet with later you know he he goes and rushes over he doesn't realize this is happening so he's like going yeah. to go to the meeting he shows up and no one's there and so he's in the top of this fucking tall building you know in some huge executive suite where there's this big table but no one showed up and they all called out and then he realizes that they all like heard what was happening and yeah. what happened and then he they dropped him and so he fucking i might have missed he, a thing he, here
1: he has like a flip out like no you didn't like he he flips out in the dining room and he starts yelling it's like weirdly like only black <laughs> service attendants you know like butlers yeah. i guess standing at attention waiting for the dinner to start and he, like, starts screaming at them, basically, like, taking it out on them that, like, what are you looking at? Do I seem like a joke to you now because nobody showed up, you know? And he, and it's basically, like, his ego fracturing, right? Like, all of his plans and everything he sold out for fracturing in front of his face.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good framing device because it refers back to the beginning. One of the first things he did to sell everyone that he's, like, the sweet, you know, wise southerner is yeah. there was a black woman whose house mm. had burned down. And so he raised money using the Lonesome Roads show to, like, get her house. Right. And was like, I'm this, like, populist hero, right? I'm like a folktale. Yeah. But now you see that he's racist, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Piece <laughs> of shit. This bullshit. And
1: so that, yeah, totally. And then when he um, breaks down, right, finally, like, he's, like, crying oh. on the floor, his next instinct is to call Marsha. Marsha, who always fixes
0: everything. That's right. Yeah.
1: Him, right? So he calls her on the phone because he at this point has not realized that she's the one that exposed him, right? So he calls her and he's like, Marsha, I need you. Oh my God, everything's falling apart. I need you to come here. And the thing is that like in the past, she did every time she came. And Mel and her even have a conversation, I think at the bar where he's like, he's going to continue to be this until you stop running over when when he calls for you to fix something, you know? Yeah. So... Marsha, this is the first time she like stands up for herself and on the phone she's like he starts threatening to kill himself. That's what happens. He's like, if you don't come here, I'm gonna jump off the balcony. <laughs> you know, he like, starts saying like this is fucking drama queen about how he's just like gonna die if she doesn't come here for him after he fucking ignored her, married a 17 piece of shit. So she says on the phone, um, actually like I'm the one that exposed you. I need you to know that I was the person that did this and never call me again. And she hangs up. So it's like the last person that he thought was always going to be there, leaving him alone. Yeah. But, like, she shouldn't have been there for you. Because you fucking burned that bridge a long time ago. So the whole point of it is that he ends up alone, and we must assume he loses everything, right? It's not like a fake cancellation. It's a real, like, he loses all his sponsors. He loses his show. He loses the woman who
0: supported him and did everything. (sighs) Well, sort of. But, okay, so... Uh, to that point, there's a couple things I want to do. But to that point, yeah. Mel's like great soliloquy at the end of this movie is on the way out the door. He stops, he turns around, he delivers this fucking incredible speech to yeah. Lonesome, which is, uh, "Hey, buddy, you're not canceled. Like, you're not. Yeah. Don't worry. Oh,
1: you'll be fine. Yeah. You're
0: not gonna go away. You're just losing like this, like pinnacle. Boy, you're like the most popular man in America." What's actually going to happen because he understands like the industry and stuff. he's just, yeah. What's actually going to happen is you're going to have like a third tier show. You're going to go away for a while and then they're going to bring you back because they're going to experiment. You know, hey, hey, can we do can we a throwback thing with this guy that was popular 10 years ago? And then you're going to have like a thing that's kind of popular. You're going to have to work out a little bit more and then you're just yeah. going to kind of disappear into obscurity and work in Hollywood. And that's like yeah. the thing that is true. Exactly. That's like Louis C.K. right now. Like he's like yeah. not the most famous comedian anymore, but like he's fine. Like, yeah. you know, you're not actually going to die from this thing was oh, really fucking poignant um the other thing yeah. that was really interesting though is so the, to me like the, the biggest weirdo like artistic kind of stroke in this film is when that when he's a raving lunatic and he's yelling i can't i'm trying to look it up right now i can't remember what he was yelling but he's yelling like a really odd line just into the hollow echoing darkness of this boardroom and his his, uh, his manager, who's like a hobo that he was in jail with. This is part, of, right. this, part of the story. <laughs> Beanie, this guy, Beanie. So Beanie,
1: I forgot. Yeah. When
0: he got out of jail, Be- Beanie got out too, and he said, uh, oh, see ya later. And then later on, when he was famous, he went and he found Beanie and he was like, I'll yeah. give you a job. You're going to work for me, right? You're like my yeah. right hand man now. So that guy's been with him through all of this, and he's just sort of like a goof, and he's just sort of like, I don't know, you know, whatever you say. Uh, so that guy is trying to figure out how to like placate this crazy lonesome roads and so he went and he found an applause machine in this studio right and so (laughs) as lonesome roads is yelling all this insane shit into the darkness he's turning the applause machine on so that he has like clapping and laughter and stuff in response to what he's saying which is so weird and dark because it's like this artificial answer to all of what he's saying, but he's like, he knows it's like methadone for him. He's like, this is what you're addicted to. You like the, you know, it's like getting likes on the internet or whatever, or getting like, you know, rewarded as a fucking public speaker. Like, he's just like, will 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 this work master? You know? Yeah. And, uh, it's so sad. Yeah. I wish I could remember what he was saying and what the, there was also like a huge, lonesome roads quote on the wall that was like something about the wisdom of the common man or something. Yeah. But I mean, it was very cool. It was all very like, I'm going to uh, rewatch
1: it. It's worth a rewatch because it has a lot of subtle detail. And I think multiple storylines, um, that are like about artists and about class and about interpersonal relationships and about capitalism and art. Like it's very good, man. And it is pretty crazy to me that it, this was, this was like 60 plus years old. And, Even it seems like maybe with the advent of new art forms, it just repeats itself as under capitalism, you know, this, this like hunt for authenticity, which then gets co-opted and becomes a manufactured version of the authentic thing that you found and therefore inherently becomes inauthentic (laughs) because now it's not being produced just for the sake of being produced. It's being produced for the sake of being sold. Yeah. And, um, it's, I think, something really worth thinking about because we can't deny that we measure success of an artist in an art form by how many millions of dollars it sold in the box office and how much money this person has and made. And this is a very early examination of how, like, being popular and making money does not entail that you, like, it doesn't mean that you are making good art <laughs> or that it's good for the artist. You know? Yeah. But it's crazy because look, how many artists do we know who still think that maybe like being famous and having all the money would solve all all their problems and wouldn't put them in exactly this position of losing your ability to authentically speak to who you were as an artist before this.
0: I mean, it's happening in real time around us so much. Do you know anyone who has done this and it didn't turn out exactly like this? You know? No. No. (laughs) It's like, it's (laughs) impossible.
1: Yeah. Um, the only people I guess I would say is people who didn't make it super big. They were, they managed to make it. And I don't want to (laughs) name names because it seems like a put down to be like they didn't make it super big. Yeah. Yeah. But there are comics who I think are great comics who have managed to maintain their voice and point of view and the authentic person that they are for like decades now. And I think it is because they reached the particular middle ground of like being successful enough to continue to do this but not so successful that you had that aha moment that we talked about with uh lonesome uh-huh. where you figure out what sells and what's influential about you so then you start doing exclusively that thing if you never have that switch because you weren't famous enough or successful like super successful enough to have that clearly articulated for you I think that's ultimately a good thing for you as an artist because it keeps you on the path of producing what authentically comes from your heart and soul as a as a producer of art, as opposed to as a business person, what I know can sell, you know. Yeah. Um. So there are, I think it is possible. It just isn't possible in the face of huge wealth and fame. I will. I will say I've lost friends because they became famous and well um uh, i don't i don't think it's possible to you know like uh so i saw like a lot of people making fun of bo burnham <laughs> last week <laughs> uh because uh not in response to our show or anything but in general just like on twitter making jokes about how like oh all the specials now are just like a reaction to seasonal depression <laughs> you know yeah. like, being like oh this isn't funny or like I had the conversation with several people about how they don't want to hear comedy about comedy or art about art. Yeah, sure. And that seems tiresome and they just want to laugh. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I mean, I know I see what you're saying, but do you understand how valuable it is to have a person who does have fame and wealth and is still not just struggling with that question of authenticity versus marketability, but willing to articulate it through their art. Most people who achieve wealth and fame are not willing to risk their wealth and fame by questioning it in any way, especially publicly, especially in their art form, especially in their work. All they do is reify the fucking systems that have um, rewarded them so far, right? Because why else? what else would you do? You should, because that way you get more stuff, right? You get more roles, you get more money, you get bigger, you get more things. So for someone like Bo to choose purposely to question the whole idea of fame and art and money. (laughs) Dude, that's rare. That's extremely rare and brave. And I understand that it seems uppity and annoying, but you shouldn't be against it. It's politically on our side.
0: I think that what's happening is those people are looking through a veil of mystification that makes that appear as one of many things that a person like Bo Burnham could talk about and not an mm-hmm. overlying thing that just draped Affects over the everything. entirety yeah. of his experience and ours.
1: Exactly, And that's yeah.
0: why I, I, I liked it a lot or whatever, but yeah. like, I understand where people are coming from when they're just like, Oh, totally. another." there, was a really funny, um, it was one of those satire sites on reductress or something like that. Maybe a while back yeah. article that was like, um, it was like, you know, prestige TV show gives you seasonal depression, and then the picture was like, it, w- it was a, <laughs> it was clearly a joke about BoJack Horseman, but it was like a yeah. woman who's also a piece of broccoli, and she's like on the phone and she's sad, and you're like, yeah, okay, this is kind of <laughs> funny that this is like a thing, and maybe the joke here is, uh, you know, fucking people with too much time on their hands and shit that aren't authentically working class are more navel gazy or something like that, and think about yeah. this stuff too much or whatever. Like, I can understand the punchline, but. I understand that people have different experiences too, but I just, to, to me, I'm one of those people like, you know, people always ask you and me the question of like, can you turn this off? Can you not be political or whatever? And it's like, no, I can't, I can't. because everything no. is related <laughs> <Yeah>. to this. <laughs> it's yeah. like asking if you cannot unlearn English uh, or something, you know, it's a language I understand. I fucking understand that it's, you know, how the world that we're experiencing yeah. is built, you know?
1: Yeah, check this out. Um, another thing I tweeted about that is actually very real is that it, last week, this week, I got invited to a hang at a bar, right? Yeah. A comedy hang, right? And then 10 minutes later, I got uninvited. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason was, like, it's no hard feelings, honestly. I, like, volunteered to get uninvited. But basically what happened was, like, Person A texts me and it's like, hey, what are you doing on this day? You want to hang out? And we're going to have a hang at this bar. So I reply, yeah, actually, it's my birthday, right? That's what I said. It's like my real birthday, but I'm having my birthday party the next day. So like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be busy, but I'll probably go. So person A replies like, oh, cool, man. Well, if you want to come and like make it a whole thing and bring whoever you want, we can make it like a birthday celebration for you. And I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. Ten minutes later, I get a text <laughs> from person A being like, hey, are you not friends with person B? (laughs) And, And I was like, oh, I mean, like, we were never friends, but we were friendly. And once, maybe like a year or two ago, I got in a disagreement with them on Twitter over politics, right? And when I said this to person A, their response was like, oh, well, that seems silly, right? And here's something that really bothers me, Jake, that I realized is like, I don't really get people who think that politics are are like a cute little debate topic that you can like agree to disagree on. Yeah. To me, if you feel that way about politics and you're like, oh, we can be, I can reach across the aisle and be friends with people who are different than me because it's just like a intellectual fucking theory debate topic that doesn't exist in real life, then you are not like me. And you're not like the people that exist in my world who are actually materially affected by the policies that are put in by the people that you vote for. Right? Yeah. So when this happened, so this was a comic, right? And this is a comic who is a pro Hillary feminist. I think you know who I'm talking about already, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, but start. she
1: during like the election shit, during the primary stuff, she was this person who was like Tweeting about how, like, if you support Bernie Sanders, you're a sexist and you hate women. How Bernie Sanders wrote an article about how he thinks rape is okay. This is Uh, why I don't
0: hang out with comedians. Because when you hang out in comedian circles, you have to conform to the highest class of person in the circle. Because everyone is trying to get something out of them. When you hang out with me and my dirtbag friends, you have to conform to the lowest class. Because we will give you shit if you fucking come and hang around actual poor people and say you think Hillary Clinton's fucking cool or whatever.
1: Exactly. So I'm watching this woman for more than a year make tweets about this kind of shit Jake, where she is like straight up calling me a sexist and an anti-feminist and an internalized misogynist if i support fucking bernie all because she thinks hillary deserves this one and he he fucking torpedoed her chances and like all this like psychotic like women are always victims fucking bullshit going on yeah and I watch it for over a year and it's like her it's her public speech. And then finally one day I was just like, you know what? I got time. <laughs> and I just like <laughs> replied. And I was just like, you are incorrect about this. And I replied with facts. I didn't disrespect her. I didn't call her names in the way that she had called me names, honestly, Jake. Yeah. Because you're calling me sexist and you're calling me a misogynist and all these things for not agreeing with your choice of candidate who is a warmongering fucking piece of shit candidate. Like I don't I don't understand. How you think I'm the bad person for not supporting Hillary Clinton. Insane. So I reply to her and I have like very clear and direct disagreement with what she's talking about. And she does the thing where she immediately texts me to be like, oh, hey, if you disagree with me, we shouldn't be doing this publicly. Right, 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 Why don't you right, text right. me and tell me whatever? And i like, I did not reply to her text. And on Twitter, I replied to her last thing and I was like, listen, I'm replying to your public speech with my public speech because I actually think what you're doing is harmful. And if you are willing to put these words out in public, this isn't about me calling you in. We're not friends like that where I'm trying to educate you. We are just people who coexist in a world where I think your speech is bad and I am going to counteract it. I'm going to put out for the world, for whoever disagrees and whoever feels like maybe what you're saying is fucking insane, somebody else should say like contradict what you're fucking saying so the fucked up thing is that to me i can have a disagreement with a person and not feel like i hate you but also i think that politics are not a debate topic that means nothing if you believe in fucking certain things in politics then you do believe in the death of people that i don't agree (laughs) you know like in fucked up policies and really fucked up shit that is not theoretical and Those people don't understand
0: that it has that much weight. Into that category. I think think it's like a fucking TV show or something. She's
1: like a rich heiress who it turns out (laughs) is like Hillary Clinton is a friend of her family. And that's why she's a Hillary fan. And it's like, how do you not see that you are speaking from this like little fucking glass castle of like, mm, I think women deserve the presidency, with no consideration for the fucking poor people, the immigrants, the black people, like anything uh, that's happening to anyone else.
0: Entire <laughs> <Tiring. Yeah>. Libya.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole planet. Any anybody else? Native Americans. Nobody. You have yeah, no concern yeah, yeah. for anything that's going on for anybody, but you really think that a woman needs to be in the White House because it's extremely important for Most people a are just.
0: They're also being rich and educated is not make you smart people are fucking yeah. stupid they have no worldview yeah. and they think they just operate in this assumption that like everything trickles down like oh if a exactly. woman's president then suddenly things will get better for women It'll in libya fixed. because yeah. like how explain how no one can ever explain how you know the other especially, thing especially oh sorry well the thing about well, you said that person's like immediately texts you and goes like hey you know let's talk about this privately or whatever this is the 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 not the, the converse it's a mirror image of um what happened with that Tony Hinchcliffe thing? I've been thinking about this a while back because yeah. some guy had replied to me. Or I've been thinking about this for a while because some guy had replied to me and said, "Hey, uh, how do you square this with the fact that you were on Come Down and all that stuff, and you made jokes yeah. like this?" And I was thinking about it, and I was like, I didn't really answer that guy correctly because it's a very obvious answer, which is to me the the problem with someone like Tony Hinchcliffe responding to a thing like that, what that guy Peng Deng did, which is just retweet a video and make a joke about it. The idea that that people are making this argument where they're like, well, Peng should have – he should have privately talked to him about this problem he what had. What the is, fuck? That's, that's a very common thing that those guys say is like, oh, no, no, comedian code. If you have an actual problem with somebody, you fucking uh – you're supposed to talk to him privately or whatever. This is what's called like not a two-way street, right? This is a one-way fucking – freedom like the guy in power the person in privilege in both of these situations whether it's like a tony mm-hmm. hinchcliffe or whether it's this person feels yeah. free to attack people f- randomly publicly. whenever mm-hmm. they want publicly
1: but if you have something to say to them it should be done respectfully and privately and within the rules right of
0: communication and that's the yeah. reason i don't fuck with those fucking people in mm-hmm. come down anymore is because we yeah. used to honestly honestly i was fine with them when we first started doing all that shit, because they're weird, like Red Scare people would tweet mean shit at me all the time and stuff. And uh, you know, like they were dicks and they talked about me on their show. But I just did the same thing back and I was like, hey, look, this is fun, like we're fucking yeah. mean to each other or whatever. But then I started getting the why didn't you talk why didn't you talk to me in private if you had a problem with me yeah. or whatever? And I was like, motherfucker, I'm making fun of you and I'm being as mean as you are to. Like yep. me, but mm, guess what? Very Never goes fucking it both ways, does it. it?
1: Yeah, yeah. This shit can't take it, fucking thing. But
0: it's so like you see with fucking yeah. power all the time. Is no yeah, one in exactly. a position of power wants to be wants to yep. have a two wants to have two way relationship with people like that?
1: Totally. So I had um, person A was like, "Okay, so do you hate person B?" And I was like, "No." Here's what happened: Person B has bad political opinions. <laughs> And she was putting them out on Twitter and it was like going on for months. So I finally responded disagreeing and she got very upset that somebody disagreed with her publicly and she unfollowed me on everything and she decided that she hates me and that we hate each other now. Literally from a slight amount of pushback on your fucked up dumb ideas, you decided this means you. I hate you. So what happened is person A texted person B being like, oh, hey, Luis is going to come and it's her birthday. Cool, right? And then person B was like, "Oh my god, I hate her. She hates me. She's a bitch. She fucking yelled at me on Twitter, <laughs> you yeah. know." And then like turns into this whole thing. And so I just had to respond and be like, "No, man. Like, we're not friends, but I'm. I don't have a problem being around her. I'm around a lot of people that I'm not friends with yeah. all the time. It's New York City. <laughs> well, that's the other <laughs> you know, thing like-
0: is people. People in power don't understand that, which is that like, yeah, for them to be inconvenienced one time by having a having to put up with somebody that disagrees with them, it makes
1: them uncomfortable. Yeah, but it's
0: like this is what it's like to be like." any marginalized group in america yeah. at all times you just always have to be around people who you don't You're agree with to
1: parsing it and fucking holding your tongue and figuring out how to like be on the other side of the room and all of that shit.
0: when trump got elected or uh, no sorry this last election uh when south texas a lot of those areas in the valley that are heavily like chicano went for trump a lot of people, like I think white people up here, especially, were like, How did this happen? And somebody, I think, I can't remember exactly how they worded it, but they were like, Do you understand the experience of being Latin in America and dealing with some white guy coming to you every four years as a politician? It's like when, when Biden came to them and when Trump came to them, it's the same situation. It's like you, you already know what the deal is. You know they're fucking with you. You know you have no power and you just calculate. And these the thing is people just calculated for Trump in this – because they were fucking let down by the Democrats last time or something. And what it, what it, what it clashes with I think is like this like liberal bougie idea that – When the Democrats go around to get votes from, like, poor communities and stuff that people are like, my savior, like, thank you, you know, it's like, no, it's a grifter coming who has all, it's like when a cop comes by and you have to be nice to them and you have, you have to do what they fucking tell you, but you have kind of a choice you can pick between one cop and the other, you know, we're living in two different fucking worlds.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Let me go back and try to recapture the segue, which I think is a good one, which is that you said um, this thing about how, like, you're supposed to not publicly address speech from comics that you disagree with. You're supposed to, like, bring it directly to their face, right? Yeah. So you saw this thing that happened with Joe Rogan in Austin
2: this week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which actually was a perfect example of somebody that has a problem with the comic bringing it to the comic, right? Instead of tweeting about it or doing whatever and so what happened was at the creek in the cave in austin um let me not go into it <laughs> i was gonna go into
0: i can side tell you, you what happened <laughs> I, I heard about it the night of <laughs> you, go,
1: you go with that because i was gonna go on a side rant that we don't need to go on. yeah either. no I, I, just to
0: recap i heard about this the night of somebody texted me every time shit like this happens in austin i know the people that are in the fucking audiences and yeah. stuff so they all just tell me so uh rogan was booked and then a drag show was booked after him i guess after, pride yeah. month or something like that and so on stage, he was using all the fucking words, uh, like, you know, the F, F word, word and the T word and all this shit. Mm-hmm. And the drag queens were in the back. And these are big drag queens around town in Austin. These are people with, like, followings on Twitter and stuff like that. And yeah. so <clears throat> he came back into the room, and they're all, like, pissed off looking. And he's like, what's the problem? And he starts to explain, I guess, the way that uh, the – drag queen named louisiana purchase was tweeting about it she said mm-hmm. he started to explain that he was using those words ironically for comedy right and mm-hmm. the thing is like if if the joke doesn't land that didn't work like i yeah. guys like joe rogan i think what they do is they think that they're doing the lenny bruce saying the n-word thing which is a mm-hmm. real thing but if you're not good at it guess what it didn't fucking work and now you have to explain yourself and so he was
1: but i also like what purchase said that was really good which was like she said at one point that like if this word has never been used against you, it's not your business to try to take the sting out of it. Right. It's not your job to try to take the sting out of it. It shouldn't even be in your mouth.
0: Yeah. We were past the Lenny Bruce thing. Yeah. He did it, he explained it kind of. It yeah. kind of worked the one time. But yeah. then he all... broke
1: that he broke that or like seal, uh-huh. right? But it's not a thing that needs to keep being done in twenty twenty one. Well, it's
0: also clearly being done for a different reason and just using that sort of to justify it even if guys like joe rogan think that's what they're doing they're using that to an audience of mostly other people who are not affected by that i dare you to go into a room that's all black trans women and fucking do that material and think it'll fucking work you won't you know you're using it to other reactionary guys so he you know apparently tried to explain that the louisiana purchase went on and like kind of tweeted about it on on, online and stuff and i guess it didn't really get brought up until seth simons wrote a thing about it so i mean there was i think an initial reaction after the show and then there was tweeting in public and then i don't know what do you think and
1: the the uh purchase did move they moved their show to another venue and they like publicly said that they would never work with the creek again um so there was already like Public reaction from the people. So this is why, why I brought it up because this was a case where the person who was offended by the comic said the thing directly. So this is what I heard was that Rebecca went up to Louisiana Purchase in the green room and was like, Oh, hey, you know, like the show's running a little, a few minutes over, you know, but they're about to get off. Do you want to take a picture with Joe Rogan? And then Ro- she was like, nah. But actually, I do want to say something to him. So she walked up directly to him and was like, dude, you know, like, why would you say these words and whatever? And he went into his whole like, this is why comedy pushing boundaries, blah, blah, blah. And what resulted out of that conversation was like, it's not like Joe Rogan was like, you know what? You're right. I heard you. (laughs) I'm hearing a person who's actually been hurt by this term. And now I'm going to change. So like the oh you shouldn't address me publicly you should come privately this is an example of like coming to you privately did nothing right did nothing <laughs> at all because then what happened Jake is uh on the Facebook group there's like an Austin Comics Facebook group Kai Kreb I think is the one who like posted about what happened so because I believe that there were also like LGBTQ comics BTQ plus comics booked on the drag show yeah. you know so they they were there also so one of them posted in the Austin Facebook group about what happened and Colton, whatever his name is, who is Rebecca's partner. He's like part owner of the creek in Austin. Yeah. You know about him? Yeah. So he's like, apparently he's like an Austin comic who is now the half owner or whatever yeah, the fuck yeah, of the yeah, creek. Yeah, yeah. He is in the Austin stand up group on Facebook. So he responded to the comic that posted about what happened being like, Well, Joe Rogan, you know, the first time we had Joe Rogan at the club, our website got over 20 million hits in the first five hours. You know, if you're going to pull that kind of numbers and sell this many tickets, of course, we're going to have him back no matter what he says. Right. Like fully the response from I spoke to you directly about how fucked up your words were not publicly first. The result was fuck you. Go do your little show somewhere else. Local Austin drag queens. We are going to take this dude who sells more tickets than you.
0: Yeah. Well, the reason that I think that they like, I think it sounds more comfortable to them because they could reframe whatever happened privately. So mm-hmm. that's why I never go on any of these people's podcasts when they're like, well, just come on the podcast and debate me or whatever. Because like what happens after that? You get to sell and stitch that up exactly the, whatever you, ways, you want as yeah. it was resolved. We talked about it and it was resolved. And it's way more of a pain in your ass if I continue to just tell everyone like, I know you, yeah. about this as, it's, as it comes up in my life. And they don't fucking want that because that actually does bother them and it actually does make people yeah. not like them. Yep. <sighs> Idiots.
1: I know. I tweeted and then I deleted, but I tweeted sorry to the city of Austin once more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. This is just like a monthly thing
1: now. I know, exactly. And we had multiple people, like I had multiple people DM me being like, dude, you called it. You guys called it on, <laughs> on you're Mad. What's happening? And also, like, yeah, I know, I know. I know. We, we're not exaggerating, motherfuckers. We're literally telling you what's going to happen. You, yeah.
0: know I mean? you know what? I'll give you another prediction. Another mm-hmm. flyer is going to come out where one of those guys is, like, riding a bull cowboy and wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to keep happening. It's, like, every flyer. It's so okay, stupid. can I tell you?
1: This is, this is, like, my petty thing is that, you know, I've seen pictures of the front of the venue, right? And the front of the venue says, like, Creek in the Cave, Austin... And n y c Lucy so what bothers me right is that this sign is obviously like a very like it's about clout right about being like, oh, this is a New York City venue, yeah, we came to Austin right, except that the version of the creek that is at in Austin is not the version of the creek that was in New York actually. yeah no <laughs> the ver- the version of New York was an open micro venue that had very infrequently headliners and weekly legion of skinks right like that was their big thing
0: there was never anyone in the audience it smelled like shit it smelled
1: like shit (laughs) nobody ever wanted to be there let's fucking be honest about it now right so it was a piece of shit place where like honestly it wasn't being run well comics had bad treatment like i i know of comics who like They had a show there and literally the show was not put on the marquee and there were no tickets being sold. And people were tweeting at them being like, hey, I'm trying to go see you at the creek, but there's no tickets being sold. And the staff says that there's no show on the schedule. (laughs) So, you know, I know that there's people who ran shows there that towards the end, they didn't even get a free drink for all the performers. Like nothing, you know, like no pay, no nothing. It was not a good place. It was like a struggling place. It was mostly kept afloat by open micers and legion escapes and now it has moved to austin and it's kind of like playing this like pseudo like oh we were a club that did headliners in new york city so now we're a club that does headliners in austin yeah and it's like no you're a club who does gentrifiers in austin right you do the people that you have connections with who are famous also moved to Austin at the same like, time. I can I tell you
0: something about the Austin scene? They're the most beaten down fucking redheaded stepchildren of yeah. comedians in the entire country. Totally. I, I fucking feel for them so hard because I have so many friends that are so fucking funny that could murder a show that work down there. And yeah. they all work in bars and shit and call centers and stuff because like... The, this is how the creek is going to treat them they're going to yeah. fucking have them open for people instead of headlining them and then like if you look yeah. at like the 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 main scene people there they just released the moon tower lineup and it yep. is it has the headliners and then it has a separate section a separate for atx sections. comedians yeah. they have to let you know don't worry we know we these are <laughs> not the same well it's but it's like it's the, for them to not to they're like embarrassed that they mm-hmm. have their own comedians, it's insane. If you're an Austin comedian and you leave town, you are more likely to get booked on shit like that yeah. in Austin because now they have this like fetishization of like, oh, we've got this person who's a headliner in another city. It's the same fucking person, from you here. idiot. Yeah. But what they don't mm-hmm. like their own people, they don't like nurture them, they don't fucking make deals with them, they don't pay yeah. them or anything. They want to keep them under their thumbs, so they fucking like. There's this permanent underclass, and it sucks because a lot of these people are fucking great, you know?
1: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I think it's only going to get worse in Austin, to be honest with you. But good luck. I repeat my offer to everybody who lives in Austin to move to New York. Rents are still semi-cheap. Um, seems I heard yours are going up. So consider checking out Moving to New York, starting your own show here. You'll be pretty much the same if not better than whatever is going on in austin
0: right now or you'd stay in austin and watch uh, the guy from nickelback do stand-up on <laughs> moon tower, <laughs> moon tower? I mean, is he really gonna do stand-up i that's i mean i don't know i just I mean, that, he's listed with all stand-ups so i heard that he's like one of those celebrities that does the storm but oh i also you know he's a punchline and i also heard he's actually like like, it's he's not the problem. Like, he sounds like he's kind of a funny guy, who has a lot of money, and he just wanted to try stand ups. I don't know. I'm curious myself, honestly.
1: Dude, that's like that. Uh, Blake Griffin, the basketball fair dude, you know, he does stand up now,
0: right? Really?
1: Yeah, you didn't know that? It's been no. a few years now. Yeah, he was at JFL the last time I was at JFL. Mike I don't watch Griffin, basketball, so I probably, even if
0: I saw him, I now, probably just think he was a comic.
1: Blake Griffin did stand up at the last JFL that I was at, which was like 2017, 18, 19. I don't know, somewhere around there. And, He's not terrible, but I I believe he has other people writing jokes for him and shit. But it's just so funny to me that, like, okay, that there are... Oh, this is maybe our JFL <laughs> should, should we segue, but yeah. But it's so funny to me, Jake, that, like, JFL is still this thing that, like, young comics are like, I must get it. I have to work so hard. I have to get the audition. I got to get into it. And then Blake Griffin is a basketball
2: player.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like... <laughs> I decided I want to do stand-up now. (laughs) And I was like, sure, you can have your own show where you host and you do 20 minutes and you can bring up whoever you want.
0: (laughs) Somebody tweeted the other day something along the lines of like, uh, it's funny that we think that like the industry is this thing that's, you know, constantly searching the world worldwide every year for who's the next great comic. And then, you know, who it turns out it is tony rock <laughs> it's like wow who'd have thought it's chris rock's brother you know
1: yeah that's why honestly what industry spends their time doing jake is not looking for comedic talents but looking for people who follow comedic talent yeah so that they can li- make their careers off of our opinions you understand me
0: let's do a patreon about jfl
1: Okay, let's do it. Let's Everybody, you're going to have to tune in to the JFL. We'll also do some emails, because we're already past an hour, yeah?
0: Oh, yeah. That's why I'm saying we should switch okay. over.
1: Yeah, so fuck that. Join the Patreon. Give us some money. Jake makes all his money off of PDA, but, you know, we'd still like to, like, buy a car and go on tour together or something with our Why You Mad money. This
0: show's my piggy bank. Uh, it's the banana stand.
1: We're saving it. Exactly. And this is the banana stand. But we should go on tour. I am um trying to, like, plan all kinds of sex vacations, but I think in between... <laughs> What I would like to do is plan, like, comedy vacations. Like, I love you and I love Trey, so I'd be willing to go with you guys on the road and I'll work for you for free. You know, like, I'll run the show.
2: Hell
0: yeah. Run the
1: light. Take the money. Whatever you need me to do. And then we just fucking hang out in weird-ass towns.
0: Let's do it. Let's do a tour.
1: Let's do a tour. We can go meet up with our, our other podcast buds. We can go meet, meet up with Trailbillies. Maybe do a show with them. Meet up with some street fight. Do a show with them. I think I'm going to go to um, Tennessee in the fall because Trey's going to do a show with Jeff Tate.
0: Well, I guess this is qualifying as plugs. I'm like, are we giving away too much information? No, it doesn't matter.
1: Oh, are we? No, no. This is all a teaser. Stay tuned to all yeah, the fun stuff that this we're going to do.
0: good. If you live in these yeah. places, expect us to come hang out with our friends and shit
1: exactly we're gonna do it um and then in between that email us at whyumedpod at gmail.com even if you are not usually an email person we love the emails man i love the emails i've never gotten a bad email from a listener it makes me really happy it could be you Why,
0: you can try yeah
1: you S- can try S- send S- us an email and uh oh casual sets nyc if you're in new york come and support my show before i give up completely on doing it <laughs> and follow me on louisa ds nuts and all the stuff Jake?
0: Yeah, just PDA and I don't know stand up at some point. I'll pu- I will. I put I put my shows in my pinned tweets. Somebody tried to own me the other day. They were like, "This guy doesn't have any dates on his website." And I was like, "I haven't done that in seven years.
1: <laughs> no comic <laughs> has done
2: that."
0: No.
1: And I'm also I think I'm gonna have Jake on casual sets in August, Ooh. which is me giving you so much uh, notice for you to plan <laughs> your trip to New York City in ah, August. Oh, there you go. And come and see us and hang out with us afterwards and make it weird.
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, make it mad.
0: (laughs) You made it mad.
1: Yeah, exactly. You
0: made it mad. All right, let's go do our
1: Patreon episode. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye.